I'm going to be over in the Psalm, the book of Psalms, uh, the 142nd Psalm. Uh, that's the one uh, that I want you to look at. And uh, we're, it's a short one. It's about seven verses. We're going to look at all seven verses for the, in the time we have together. Uh, but I hope this will be an encouragement to you. The, the reason I've, I've selected this, I've kind of landed on this uh, particular passage and this thought, um, is there's a whole lot of trouble in, in the world. And um, I think sometimes, at least I, I'm speaking from my own experience, when I look around, I see all the trouble, I think, what in the world are we going to do about all this trouble? Well, and then I'm reminded that there's a book, a Bible, that tells us exactly what we're supposed to do in that kind of trouble. And that's what Psalm 142 is going to help us to see. As we uh, begin to read it, before we read it, <clears throat> just want to give you a little bit of context for this, this, uh, this psalm. Uh, there's a man named David, <clears throat> excuse me, a man named David. He is, of course, going to be king of Israel, but at this moment in time, he's on the run. He was crowned king before this. You know him as killing Goliath. You know, he had that victorious day. But not long after that, after he had been celebrated, um, the, the guy who was currently the king, Saul, wasn't real happy about this. So he was after him. He'd been chasing him. In 1 Samuel chapters 22 and 23, you will see what I would characterize, and you can look at it and make your own judgment, but I would characterize David making a, just a series of crazy, crazy moves. He just does one thing after another that I just don't understand why he did what he did, but he did all those things. And after he does one thing after another, he, he ends up in a place, in a cave. He ends up in a cave. When he ends up in that cave, he does the one thing. If, if you go back and read 1 Samuel and you go back to about verse, or chapter 21, 22, 23, right in there, you watch what he's doing. And until he lands in the cave of Adullam, until that happens, he doesn't do the one thing he needs to do. Now, when he does, when he gets there, he finally breaks down and he calls out to the Lord. He prays to the Lord and asks for the Lord's direction, for the Lord's help. And as I understand it, there were three psalms. This is what uh, the scholars seem to think, that there were three psalms that were written while he was in that cave. This, Psalm 142, was one of those three. The other two, in case you're really taking notes at home, uh, is Psalm uh, 34 and Psalm 57. So if you ever want to look at those. But we're just going to look at this one here. And it looks like this was a time of significant reflection for David. And I just want to take a minute to learn from, from, from Brother David here. I'm going to be in Psalm 142, and uh, I'm just going to read this whole psalm. And if you're able to stand with me as I do so, just out of reverence for the reading of the scripture, I'd appreciate if you would. Uh, we'll just read these verses together. Here's, here's what the scripture, here's what the Lord's words says, says to us. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then, I, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, there was no man that could know me, that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. 
Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this this prayer that David is praying to you that we can look at, that your Holy Spirit inspired to to pin down so that we could, uh, all of these years later, these centuries later, to hear uh, our brother, our our friend, our, our, our fellow servant, that he would hear, that he would say these things that we could hear and that we could draw from. And Lord, I pray that these are the the cries that come from our mouths because, Lord, you are the one that knows us. You're the one that can help us. Please encourage us tonight, Lord. Strengthen us. Drive us to your feet. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I want to just start off by pointing out to you where this psalm begins. David cried unto the Lord. He cried out to the Lord. He cries out in the middle of his predicament. I've already tried to explain what that predicament was. He was being chased. His life was being threatened. He was under the gun. He was living on the run. I've never had to live on the run. I can't imagine what that would be like. I don't even like having to stay in a hotel more than a few nights. If I have to, get, if I have to do it, I don't like to do it that long because I like to be at my home. He had to live on the run, didn't know where his next place to sleep was, where his food was coming from. He was in a predicament. And what he did there is he cried unto the Lord with his voice, he said. With my voice I made it. He, he cried. And the, the, the words there of cry is this idea of actually hollering. This loud, clear, absolutely full of emotion exclamation to the Lord. Lord, this is what's on my heart. He's overwhelmed by his circumstances. So he does. He says there that he p- makes his supplication. He pours out his complaint before the Lord. I don't know how you are, but sometimes I don't really like to complain to the Lord because I think he gets, I feel like he gets tired of hearing me. But that's not what the scripture tells me. The scripture tells me I need to pour that complaint out to him. He wants to hear my prayer. I, I kind of get a little complex about it, you understand, because I complain an awful lot. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you how much I complain. So you can imagine how much I complain to the Lord. But he wants you to pour that complaint out before him. Show it before him. And that's exactly what David is doing. The reason he's doing it is because his circumstances, look in verse 3, my spirit is overwhelmed. His circumstances had overwhelmed him. I, I can sympathize with David. I imagine a few of y'all can too. He's overwhelmed by these circumstances because he says there that he feels like there is everybody is against him. Look at what he says in the last part of that in verse 3. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me? It seems like everybody's trying to trap him, trying to catch him on all sides. Every which way he would go, there's somebody there ready to to pounce on him, ready to get a hold of him. And I can imagine, I've, I've felt like that sometimes. I, I don't know if I'm paranoid or they're really after me, but either way, it's overwhelming. It's an overwhelming feeling. He goes on in verse 4 to say, I've looked on both sides. I looked on the right hand and beheld there was no man that would know me. Nobody understands what I'm going through is what he's saying. Nobody understands, and some of y'all either are currently going through something or maybe recently have gone through something that Probably, if we're honest, nobody in this room understands what you've dealt with. And and that's probably the the heart cry of your soul is, nobody knows what I'm dealing with. And and I hate to confess to you, but you're probably right. Nobody knows it. And that's what David felt. He said, I feel like nobody understands. And probably the most terrifying words in this psalm 
Or at the end of verse 4, no man cared for my soul. I'm going to just confess something to you all in front of God and everybody right now. Me and my family have been visiting around to some different churches trying to find the place that we need to, to settle in. And we're trying to, trying to get the, the Lord's direction on that. And I have to tell you, and I want to tell you this because I want you to help some people that come in through your doors. It's one of the most discouraging things in the world to go into a church that you don't know and they don't know you. Because you get that feeling, and I don't think this is really people's hearts. Don't, don't, you understand me? I don't think this is their hearts. I don't think this is really what they feel. But as that person on the receiving end, this is what you feel like. You feel like nobody really cares about you. And you start feeling bad about yourself. And you say, well, Matthew, you need to buck up. And you're right, I do. But I'm just trying to tell you that's how people feel when they walk into the doors of a church and they don't know you. They need something. There's something in their heart that's, that's lacking and missing. And I'm speaking from my own experience. I need something when I'm coming to the church. But I'm telling you that that's the feeling a lot of people have when they come. They don't, they don't feel like anybody cares for them. And, and, and if, if that's not you, you may say, well, I don't, I don't want to sympathize with that. I don't feel that. And I understand we don't always understand that. But you've got to know that there's been some times in your life where you think nobody cares about what I'm dealing with. And that is a, such a lonely feeling. It's such a terrible feeling. And this is what David's feeling at this point. But he is confident, even though he feels like everybody's out to get him, nobody understands, nobody cares. He goes in verse 3, look what he says there. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou, speaking to God, thou knewest my path. I want to focus in on that word newest. It's not how we talk today, but this is, uh, understand that word newest or to know. He says, you God know my path. You understand me. What God does is he knows exactly where we are. Okay, I want you to understand this. Yes, he knows the GPS coordinates. He knows right here. This is where Matthew is. And he watches every move I make. He does that. So don't, uh, it's absolutely right. But there's something more to this word of knowest or newest, the fact that he knows us. He actually is intimate with our situation. Just like the disciples when they leave, uh, they, they leave where Jesus has fed those multitudes of people and they're out on the ocean, or on, the, on the Sea of Galilee, and that storm comes up. The Lord knew that they were in that storm, so he understood that. But you know what else the Lord was? He got in the boat with them. He was right there in the middle of their circumstances, and he knew that. This is the, 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 the God that we worship. He knows where we are. He's not lost track of you. He's not, he's not forgot about you. But more than that, he knows exactly. He feels. He understands. As the writer of Hebrews says that we have a high priest. We do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. We have a high priest that knows, Jesus Christ knows exactly what we're feeling and what we're dealing with. He understands it. In fact, the, uh, Paul says over in Romans chapter 8, he says that the, the spirit even understands and can make up for our weakness. So sometimes we can't even pray. We don't even know what words to pray. He makes groanings for us that can't be uttered. He takes that and he makes intercession for us. He does that for us because he knows where we are. He knows the feelings of our soul. I told you this morning, one of my sons, my oldest son, just recently got married. And I, those words are foreign coming out of my mouth. I, I know some of y'all experienced this where you get your children growing and it just, it's a different experience. Every day is different. But I remember, I remember when he was a little kid, but now 
I can identify with him in a different way. He just got married. He's just getting his career off and running. And the conversations I'm having with him now are about those kinds of things. And those are things that I can help him with. Because I was at one point getting my career off and running and getting my, get, just, just, just moving in with my new bride and, and just getting my house set up. And I remember all of those. There's fun times. That's one of the things I remember about that is I don't think I enjoyed it quite the way I should have enjoyed it. Just enjoy the moment. That's what I keep trying to tell him. But the point of telling you that is I can advise him. I can encourage him. I can strengthen him because I've been there. I know exactly what he's going through in a way that he doesn't even understand what he's going through. I can do that because I've been there. How much more does God understand your circumstance and your situation? He knows and he cares for you. There's too many of us that are, when we get into sin and sin overwhelms us, that we're embarrassed about that sin so we don't even want to take it to God. I can confess that I've done that before where something that I, that I know better than I shouldn't be part of and I shouldn't let that thing overwhelm me. And when I do, I feel like such a failure, I don't even want to talk to God about it. And there may be weeks that will go by before I'll even address the Lord and I realize, hang on a minute, He already knows that I sin. He died on the cross for my sin. He paid my penalty. He bore it in his body. So you think he knows about my sin? You better believe he knows about my sin. So I need to take it. He cares enough for me for me to take it to him. He's already paid for it. The worst has already happened. You know that God created you? I know that we are, I am one of billions of people, seven, some, seven point something billion people on this planet. And in the scheme of things, I'm pretty insignificant. I'm one fella. In the whole world. But you know that God took, he created you. Uh, he, the psalmist says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He, he actually architected your nose and your eyes and your ears and your feet and your, all those, the lungs and all those. He made those things. I'm telling you that because there's nothing in, the, in your life that's too small for God to worry about. I do that sometimes. I'll say, well, this is just a little thing. I just need to get over it and deal with it. No, 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 no. God cares about those things too. And then sometimes we'll get the other extreme where we say, oh my goodness, this is such a big problem. There's no way it'll ever be resolved. You're talking to the God who made the universe. He made everything that exists. So there's nothing that's too big for him. This God who is the almighty God, the, the big God who oversees everything in the universe, he is with you. So we need to cry out to God. Cry out to him because he's with you. He's right there with you. David goes on in verse 5 to say that I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion. He cries out to God in the middle of his troubles because... He has a God who is his refuge, he says. The place that he can go for protection. The place that he can go that all of the things that are assailing him, those things that are overwhelming him, he can go and hide himself in the protection of the Lord. He can go to God as the one who is his portion, he says. His portion, it's his inheritance, his provision, the one who provides what he needs, the one who gives him what, everything that he has, as James says, that all of those good gifts come from the, the Father above. All of those good gifts. I want you to think about it this way. 
Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now think about what that means. When you were at your possible, the, 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 the most impossible worst, you, you had no right to even enter into God's presence. In fact, if God were, and God is just, and if God were simply to, to be just and not to have any love for you at all, simply his justice alone would actually cast you and destroy you. I mean, even hell is too good for you, to be honest with you. I can tell you what I would do is something like we were if I had created us. I'd ball it up like a piece of paper and throw it away and say, I'm going to try again. That's what I would have done. You understand I'm not God. Thank the Lord for that. But that's what I would have done. But see, God loved you when you were a sinner. How much more do you think he loves you now? Especially those of you that are here that can say, yes, Jesus is my Savior. I am saved and I'm bound for heaven. Do you know how much he loves you now? Oh, my goodness. You think you love your children. You think you love your grandchildren. You think you love your spouse. That love pales in comparison to the love that God has for you now that you are one of his. He loved you when you were not even worth loving. Now that he has redeemed you, how much more does he love you? Even more. He is powerfully and effectively taking care of your troubles because he loves you. This is what Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 where he says we need to cast our cares on him because he careth for us. He's going to take care of our problems. He is ready to do that. He will protect us and he is the only one we can run to. And he loves you. What I'm trying to bring together to you is two powerful concepts, which is why David is able to go to him and say, you're my refuge and my portion. Two powerful concepts. You have a God of love and a God of power. The same one, the same person that you're able to talk to. He is a God of love and a God of power. He is greater than anything in this world. John writes, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There is nothing that can stand against our God. And at the same time, John writes later in that same verse, or same chapter, 1 John chapter 4, that because we, he loved us first, we can then love him. In other words, this powerful God actually loves us. So therefore, he is the place we can run. He is the one that provides. And whatever he provides is going to be good. Whatever he does is going to be great. I always think about this when I, when I try to meditate on the Lord and what he does for us. I think about when our children were real little. For whatever reason, they wouldn't run to me. They would always run to their mama. And I think that's just because mama was sweeter than I was. But when those little children, they'd get hurt They'd hit their knee, they'd fall down, they'd bust their head wide open, whatever they would do. The first thing they would do, Mama, even now, 20 and 22 years old, they got problems. First thing they do, Mama, that's what they do. Why? Because Mama's kisses fix everything. Mama loves you like nobody loves you. I can tell you right now, my wife won't let me sing with you, brother preacher. My wife won't let him sing, me sing with him because she don't like my singing. But my mama thinks I can sing real good. My mama, my mama loves me. I bet your mama loves you too. But that's, this is because your mother, and, and especially a little child, mama not only loves you, but mama can fix anything. And that, that's how we see it as a little child. Now, now, when we get all grown, we don't think she can do quite as much. But let me, let me help you understand this. There's a God in heaven 
who loves you more than your mama's ever going to love you. And he is so much more powerful. He's so much more powerful. I'm not taking anything away from your mama. Don't let her hear me say it that way. But God is more powerful than she ever thought about being. So who are you going to turn to when you're frustrated? Whether it's because of sickness. I know that there's some of you that deal with chronic, chronic illness. And, and I've not had to deal with that myself, but I know folks who have. And it's just so frustrating. It's just another, another week, another month, another year of the same treatments that don't fix it. And you're just frustrated in your heart. God, what are you doing? Please, I've got to get this fixed. Who are you going to turn to? The only one that can, who actually knows what you're feeling. The only one who loves you like, like nobody loves you. The only one who has the power over your body is the Lord God Almighty. When you've got people that are coming after you, maybe, maybe, maybe it's not through any fault of your own. They're just people that are hurting you because they're just ugly people. Who are you going to turn to? Hope it's not some sort of hitman or something. I hope it's the Lord God Almighty that loves you and is powerful to fix that. When temptation defeats you, when those things you've tried to put in place, those protections, financial protections or, or otherwise, to try to put those in place and they fail, who are you going to turn to? It's going to be the one who can provide. And not just who can provide. Please hear me this. Hear me on this. He wants to provide for you. He is your portion. He is your refuge. He is the one that you can run to. So cry out to God, not only because he's with you, but that God, this God cares for you and he provides for you. He gives us rich blessings and we could, if we had the time to do it tonight, I know we could give testimony after testimony of how God has provided, probably even in the last week or two. I know I could do that. David's doing the same thing here in verses 6 and seven, he says, bring my, excuse me, verse six, he says there, deliver me from my persecutors. He wants to be delivered from Saul, the one who's chasing him. He goes on in verse seven to say, bring my soul out of prison. He's been forced into hiding. He probably feels like he's in prison during this time. And while this is a prayer to ask God to do this, the tone sort of changes here in verse 7 where he switches over and says, I want you to do this because I want to praise thy name. He's sort of anticipating the answer. And the answer is that he knows that God is a God who richly blesses. He knows that he will be delivered from his persecutor. He knows he will be uh, freed from the, the prison of hiding. He knows that these things are going to happen. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about. He says that, that not only are you going to answer these prayers, Lord, but I know that there is so much more that's going to come. I now feel like there's nobody with me. I feel alone. I feel like nobody cares. I feel like I'm in prison. I feel like I'm being chased to kingdom come. But he says there's going to come a time when the righteous shall compass me. There's going to be godly fellowship. There's going to be people gathered around me that are going to come around me. And we're going to worship you together, Lord. And we're going to praise you. We're going to reminisce about all the wonderful things you've done. Because we see, you need to understand that we serve a God who not only rich, richly blesses, he absolutely does that. But he does things that you can't even imagine and expect. He, he, that's why he says at the end there, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. It's, it's, it's enough that God loves us. 
It's enough that we can run to him in our time of need. That should be enough. In fact, that's more than we deserve. That alone is gracious. But what he's going to actually do, what he does for David and what he will do for us, is he will He will actually answer the prayer and he will actually give us people to encourage us and he will give us blessings that we can't even imagine. He will give us... This God can do anything. This God can do anything He wants to do. And He is a God that deals bountifully with His people. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. I think we forget, I forget about that. I imagine you do too. We forget about that. That God, yes, He will help us in our time of need and we can go to Him and He'll comfort our soul. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But He sometimes will do some things that you're saying, I didn't even ask for that. That's more than I even thought you would do. He does that. That's what he does. In fact, Jesus, he's talking, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, that one of those last times in his ministry where he's got them gathered around, he's preparing them for, to, for him to go up into, up into heaven. In John chapter 14, he is encouraging them and he says to them, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. I'm trying to get you to see that God has got something big planned. I don't know what he's got. I would argue that the reason we don't expect it, reason we don't experience it, is because we don't believe it. I believe that we don't experience it because he, he's ready to do it, but we're sitting over here trying to solve our own problems instead of running to him for those things that we need and then allowing him to answer that prayer and then do more than you could ever imagine. I'm not trying to, by the way, I'm not, I want to make sure I'm real clear with you. I'm not talking about this name it, claim it garbage. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about run to him in your time of need and then let God be God and he'll do something you'll never even imagine. That's what I'm talking about. This is the way that our God works. But see, my faith, your faith, our faith is so, so small for such a big, big God. One of my favorite books is a book called Weight of Glory. It's a, com, com, a comp, compilation of essays by an English writer, British writer named C.S. Lewis. And there's one little portion in there I'd like to read to you. It's just a paragraph. I just want you to read that. I want you to listen to this. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't even imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What I need to do instead of, in the time of my trouble, I'd be just happy to quit hurting a little bit. Instead of being just happy to quit hurting a little bit, I need to go ahead and run to the God who loves me and is so powerful he can fix anything. Let him do what he's going to do and he's going to surprise you like you have never been surprised. I want to be real clear. You might have to endure the pain a little bit longer. Y'all know, some of y'all know this in a way that I don't even understand, but I know this is the case. But he may use that as Paul, as he did for Paul. I told you about this this morning in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. In your weakness, he can become strong. He can become great. That may be what he does. 
But we've got to quit being so happy and so satisfied simply by the things of this world. But we actually have to go to the one that we can trust and prove him and lean on him. The best days are actually ahead for you as a believer in Christ, for this church, for the God's people across this globe, if we will simply look to him for our hope and for our help. We serve a lavish God. Lavish God. We just need to cry out to him and to him alone. I think the best way I can bring this together, there's a, there's a story that I want to tell you in my closing. Something that happened a couple hundred years ago now. There was a preacher by the name of James McGreedy. He was a Presbyterian preacher. Don't hold that against him. Uh, but he was a Presbyterian preacher in the 1700s, the, the late 1700s, right around the, the founding of our country. He was actually born in Guilford County. McGreedy was. And um, he was known. This, I'm giving you the historic, historic assessment of him, not my assessment of him. But the historic assessment of him, he was a very large man with a thunderous voice and a hideous face. That's how they called him in the history books. But what he was known for was preaching that focused on repentance, which was unusual for that moment in history up to that point. He really was one who brought out this idea of repenting of our sins. And he became the pastor of what was at that time called the Orange Presbytery. At that time, they would kind of be these circuit-riding They'd have like three or four churches in a little group, these presbyteries would, and this one preacher would preach over three, and he was in the Orange Presbytery, uh, which in, really involved what we now know as Alamance County, the, the way the county lines were, weren't exactly the same as they are now, but it was Alamance County. He preached in three, three churches, Hall River, Speedwell, and Stony Creek. If you know that area at all, you know those towns, or at least those, those places, and some people appreciated what the man was doing. The way he would preach, it was just a very, very vigorous preaching, and he would preach the word of God, and he would preach it hard. And some people liked it. Some people really responded to his preaching. But uh, he also hit some resistance pretty hard. In Hall River, I don't know what y'all know about Hall River, but um, there is no Presbyterian church in Hall River today. Because when he was the pastor there, there was a church split, and because of that church split, that church just essentially just dissolved and they never, ever reestablished a Presbyterian church in Hall River. Over in Stony Creek, there was a group of people that got so violent in that church because of his preaching. They literally ripped the furniture out of the church, put it in the front yard of the church, and made a bonfire out of the church furniture. Somebody was so dedicated in Stony Creek, they wrote a letter to Pastor McGreedy in blood that said, next time, buddy, we're coming for you. They were upset with him. I'm telling you, they were not happy with him. Of course, you can't, you can't be surprised that um, he didn't stay much longer after that. He said, I'm going to take my family. We're going to move across the mountains. And they moved up into Kentucky. There was a couple, a little county up in Kentucky that he moved to. He settled into another little presbytery there. There were three churches I know of at least one of these that's going very strong today, but it's Gasper River, Muddy River, and Red River. Those are the three churches that he was pastoring up there. But he did something a little different this time. 
He, he continued to preach. That never changed. But here's one thing he did different. He had each member of the church sign a pledge. I want to read part of that pledge to you. He said, this is what it said. It's not all of it, but this is part of it. It said, therefore, we bind ourselves to observe the third Saturday of each month for one year as a day of fasting and prayer for the conversion of sinners in Logan County and throughout the world. We also engage to spend one half hour every Saturday evening, beginning at the setting of the sun, and one half hour every Sabbath morning, Sunday morning, from the rising of the sun, pleading with God to revive his work. They did that. A lot of the people signed that pledge. A lot of the people actually followed through and did the praying that, was, uh, that they had committed to. And it was the dedication to prayer that is historically credited for sparking what is known as the Great Revival of 1800. It started in Logan County, Kentucky, and it resulted in thousands of people being saved right as this country was a, an infant country at that time. One of the things that y'all need to know about that, though, because Pastor McGreedy and that congreg those congregations prayed together some of what you know as church environment, the church atmosphere that we enjoy. In fact, a lot of what I've experienced here at this church, lively singing, uh, direct Bible preaching, that, that, that kind of even what you might, if you've ever been to camp meetings and things like that, all of those things find their roots in this revival that happened there because of what Pastor McGreedy did. And some of the churches that I mentioned that he was pastoring in Kentucky, still active, still thriving, still doing great today, still making an impact in that corner of Kentucky today. What I'm trying to get you to see is this is what God does when his people cry out to him. Just like a little child crying out to his father. The difference is this is a child crying out to an all-powerful father that is a weapon, that cry is a weapon that cannot, will not be thwarted. Your God cares for you. Your God will protect you. Your God has given you the very best. And if you don't believe me, look to Calvary. He has absolutely given you the very best that he has. He is a lavish God, giving you far more than you could ever imagine that he would give you. I'm trying to encourage you, church. If you still got your Bible, look in Psalm 142. Do what David did. He cried unto the Lord with his voice. And with his voice unto the Lord did he make his supplication. Would you, church, pour out your complaint before him? Will you show before him your trouble? You do that, God will hear you. He's been hearing his people for thousands and thousands of years. He's not stopping anytime soon. And he will continue to deal with us abundantly and bountifully. I want to ask you to stand. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. I'm going to invite your pastor to come and close the service as he sees fit. But I hope you will cry out to the Lord for whatever is troubling you tonight. Lord, thank you for this promise that you'll hear us. Thank you for the emotion of this psalm that we can sympathize with we can feel in our hearts i think there are many here that are experiencing some kind of trouble and challenge in their life i pray god that you will drive us to call out to you to cry out to you please please it's not even about you hearing our prayers and i know you will but please help us to even ask for your help and we ask this in the name of our savior jesus christ amen